Let's do a little bit. Four. Element 115, essentially non-existent. told police he was able to time travel because aliens filled his body with, you guessed it, alcohol. Yo, you guys, I got nothing. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought that was, wow. I thought that was actually going somewhere. Yeah. Way to kill the recurring like joke, Mike, of you starting off every podcast episode with it. A joke or a story, huh? Or a, oh, or a solid cold open today. Oh, maybe I'm on a, like a shandling level where that is the joke. Oh, it could be. Are we wow. getting that meta already? Did we ever not be that meta? I don't know. I yeah. feel I feel like you got to draw the line somewhere because you start getting meta to the point where it's like obnoxious. Of course. Uh, yeah, it doesn't but take But what if you start obnoxious and get meta? Oh, that's just sparking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I just I just don't like it, you know? I mean, I like self-referential humor, but when you start, like, actively calling attention to being like, oh, look how quirky and weird I am because I'm quirky and weird. I hate that shit so much. Like, just oh, be wow. quirky. Anyways. Just be quirky <laughs> and weird. Like, it's fun enough just being quirky and weird. You don't have to, like, be like, look at me. Look how quirky and weird I am. See what happens, Who are you, Mike? Who are you talking to right now? <laughs> yeah, are you mad at us, Mitch? I don't know. I, I'm i ornery. the show off the rails before it even uh, started. Yeah, you know. So I don't you're what, Mitch? Christ. What? I'm I'm ornery. What, I, I was, you, what listen, was that? Listen, this morning I was aroused from my sleep and not in a good way. Oh. By Christmas music. and aroused. Oh. By oh, Christmas what? music on the radio. Why? I have no idea. It's August. Why? Why is there? <laughs> what song was? Because it? it's the only thing. I'm dreaming of a right white now. Christmas. Ugh. Yeah. It was like of your alarm or something. Yeah. Are you sure you weren't just like listening to Rush Limbaugh? Well, no. It wasn't even my alarm. It was somebody else's alarm that woke me up too. So it's like I woke up earlier than I wanted to. To music that I wasn't expecting, that's not suited for this time of year. And it, out of all the Christmas songs, it had to be that one. They couldn't play, like, Jingle Bells or something fun. Instead, I gotta listen to Frank Sinatra, whoever sang that song, like, slowly crooning it out, like, taking 10,000 years to say the next line. <laughs> wow, Major, you really did wake up in a yeah. mood, huh? Yeah, this is a hot, how you feel, dude. This is a hot open. <laughs> Listen, you gotta interject some drama into these things every once in a while, Jesus you know? Jesus Christ. Yeah. You well, know what? Guys, I'm Next a- time I'll write something down so that doesn't happen again. <laughs> guys, I'm really excited to talk about the Illuminati today, right? That's what we're talking about, yeah. triangles today? Yeah, yeah. I think so. That's the, that's the topic of the show. Yeah, triangles the and pyramids and, uh, you know. DDP. Yeah, yeah. The all the all seeing eye. What was what was DDP's uh symbol? The diamond upside down, right? Wasn't it this? Yeah, but it yeah. was upside down, wasn't it? Didn't he I, it I thought down? he did it upside down too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. If you stick your tongue in it, it's a WAP. Goes from DD. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. Oh what, you didn't think the boomer had current references? <laughs> <laughs> what ass P word? Surprise, yeah. motherfuckers. You know how to look at, like, trending topics on Twitter? Is that what you're getting at, basically? My, my grandson Congrats. taught me. 
Yeah, that's good. Good for you. So yeah, we uh, today we're talking about triangles, but not the Illuminati. We're talking about uh, the the mysterious ones, right, fellas? The paranormal. Like, yeah, ones. sort of the paranormal. the ones that that encompass a certain area of the globe and what uh, sort of weird occurrences happen in correlation to those triangular areas. It's weird that they're all triangles. Mm. You know? yeah. There's no fucking triangles. parallelograms or squares. Yeah. Or <laughs> a rhombus. Ah, yeah. uh, yes, the Bermuda rhombus. Yeah, the Bermuda rhombus. They've been talking about it since the 1700s. It's just crazy. I'm partial well, I, to a dodecahedron myself. I have that go. question yeah. um, because I wasn't able to find anything. Like, who... I know that there's one dude coined the Bermuda Triangle, which I think that was like the first formal triangle. Yeah. But like, how do they define what becomes a point of the triangle? Is that arbitrary? Did you guys find anything? Because I didn't find anything. So with the said, one like, I looked into, with the one I looked into, yeah. it appeared to be pretty arbitrary. Yeah. But uh, I don't know about the other convenience. Ones. Yeah. And. You know, and because I think because the term triangulate is so popular, mm, it's okay. just, you know, use three points to sort of get an area together. Because once you, you know, honestly, four points, come on. Dude. That's you too much. Can't, you yeah. gotta be shitting me. Four, five points? Mm. You're gonna oh. come around here and you're gonna say you want uh, the Bermuda Pentagon? No, no, no. no. <laughs> the Pentagon is. The Pentagon is reserved for one thing, and that is the U.S. government, okay? And I stand up proud and i will not kneel when i look at a flag i'm sorry i'm kidding i will kneel i'll, I'll just, kneel on both knees i don't care i'll i'll i don't care i'll do whatever you want i'll I kneel because i'm sick of standing to be honest yeah, fuck that i don't want to stand I, on my feet all day it's mm. a little weird though that this conversation keeps seems to keep coming back full triangle to the illuminati <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is well they're listening triangle. right now you know that right Pentagon, Pentagram, this, NSA. This episode is never going to ear because of the Illuminati. They're going to just comes out already, all garbled. They're already deleting our recordings right now. Exactly. Like, nothing saved. What a waste of their time. Yeah. <laughs> right? An absolute waste of their time. Let's bother these A waste of assholes. our tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the oh, best look. guess I had for points like... Uh, in the triangle was shipping routes. Okay. okay. Like, that was the only thing I could come up with. Like, this... Because uh, we'll be talking missing boats. We'll be talking missing planes. Um, and that's the only thing I could think of is, like, most of these things went missing from one destination on the way to another. Yes. So my best guess, although I couldn't find anything really to back this up, was that they're determined from by, you know, this... Uh, ship was leaving this location to go to this location went missing mm. and then this location if they're going to this location it gets missing and then that's the only way I could think of that there might be a reason to pick these locations for points of a mysterious triangle mm. yeah, yeah, I feel I, like I, that I, makes sense so do we know which, which was the first? I know we all kind of dedicated ourselves to one individual triangle um, right and the Bermuda Triangle, since I picked that one, um, the first unusual disappearance of that was September 17th, 1950. Um, so that was huh. kind of like the first time it was ever kind of recognized. That's interesting. Um, which I thought it would have been a lot sooner, but it kind of makes sense. I, I would have thought more um, 
like World War Two ish, maybe a little bit before that. But I would have thought yeah, that from... there'd be stuff like going back way further. Yeah, yeah I have an I have a couple from. Hold on, let me see. The first weird shit I did the uh, Michigan Triangle, and the first weird disappearance <clears throat> that I have within that is related um, back to 1679. Oh, Holy wow. crap. Wow. Yeah. So, again, this goes to, like, what makes something a triangle? Like, in my uh, attempts to answer that question myself, mm. um, I came up with the dude Vincent Gaddis, G-A-D-D-I-S, who is an American author who invented the phrase Bermuda Triangle. Okay, okay. yeah. And, um, you know, that was between... Uh, I think it's 64, it says, that he came up with that. So, obviously, all the weird shit had taken place up to that mm -hmm. point for the most part. It was just this dude's investigation into it where he said, and again, I don't know if I didn't look into it any further than that, so maybe there's somewhere where he's on record saying, this is why <laughs> I called it that. Um, but it's like going back and saying, well, this weird shit seems to happen between these points. And then saying, like, oh, well, even further back now, we had this weird thing happen in this area. And then, oh, does it fit within this perimeter? Okay, now that the perimeter is mysterious. Where the things that made it mysterious have been happening all along, as far as we know. Mm. It's just one, like, a person going and saying, like, oh, hey, this area seems to contain more weird shit than the outside area. Yeah, I agree. That is the same. That is the case with my area, my triangle, the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, it was a coin. It was a term that was coined in like the 1970s. But there's stuff that goes back to like er, as early as the 1400s oh, in wow. terms yeah. of like certain landmarks that you know we'll talk about in a little bit. Because yeah, we are talking about <clears throat> triangles, and we all picked one of them. Yeah. Um, Jarvis, you said you did the Bermuda Triangle. Mike, the Michigan Triangle. I mentioned the Bridgewater Triangle. Mitch, what was your triangle? My triangle is the Dragon's Triangle, and I got to one-up you all because stories about the Dragon's Triangle in the Devil's Sea, where it's located, go all the way back to, like, 1000 B.C. in China. Hell so, yeah. Damn. Nice. Yeah. So that's my triangle. So, yeah, all over, all over the map with these triangles. But, you know, they might... They weren't necessarily calling them the the specific names all the time, but that doesn't mean that crazy or uh, unusual things were happening in those areas, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, because it's a weird shit that happens, and then it's us as humans trying to put tags on it, trying to put labels exactly. on it, yeah, yeah. trying to right. break it down in a way that makes more sense. Mm. Because for the Categorize most part, a lot of the phenomena makes no sense. You know, and even like though it goes back this far, you know, Mitch is saying like pre-recorded history for our continent. Yeah. Um, right. The weird shit took place. We still don't know why, and we have planes. You know, we have laser surgery. <laughs> like mm. we still don't know. Like, eh. Sure. Cool. So where do we want to start? Who wants to start? I don't know. I, I'm tempted to say start with the Bermuda Triangle because that's the one okay. that Most I think familiar. like everybody at least knows a little bit about right yeah because like for instance uh you know when it comes to like the dragon's triangle i honestly had never even heard of the dragon's triangle 
until we decided to do this episode and I started doing Same research here. into like mysterious triangles and stuff like that. Uh, Same here. I had no so, idea. So I feel like the Bermuda Triangle is probably like the best jumping off point to get into this topic. Okay. In my so opinion. Let's do it. Let's do it. So everyone knows the Bermuda Triangle. It's a, a you know a stretch. It's a triangle of three points. If you didn't know what a triangle was, mm. uh, it goes from the northern part. It goes from Bermuda, which is the most northern tip, uh, all the way down to Miami on the west side, and then the east side stretches over to Puerto Rico. And um, let me just get my numbers straight here. It is a uh, 1.5 million square miles of ocean. Um, Wow. And like I said before, September 17, 1950 was kind of when the first suggestion of an unusual disappearance. Um, And that disappearance was um, it was a training mission with some soldiers on it. They were flying from one base to another. um, I forget what the base. I think they were going to Cuba uh cuban base but anyways uh they ended up going missing and no one was ever able to find any wreckage or any any radio like black box nothing they couldn't find anything from these guys they just disappeared off the face of the earth and that has been happening for since the 1950s i mean there's been several ships and boats all happening um all because of that and the more I kind of dug into it the more I was finding um, a lot of the time. It seems like it's hard to pinpoint exactly what could have caused these problems. But for me, logically, it's like if you look at the Bermuda Triangle, it's in the middle of um, like where hurricanes kind of sweep through the Atlantic Ocean up into the U.S. Mm. And to me, logically, it would make sense that it could have been a crazy storm. Um, you know, could have been a, a hurricane in the 19th. I'm not entirely sure when um, nice. hurricane research really became a thing. I'm assuming it had to have been 50s, 60s as radar tech, you know, was kind of getting better. All that stuff. Yeah. We were able to track storms better. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of the, the more digging I did, I, I started to find out that it was a lot more uh, magnetic anomalies. So. You've probably heard from stories of the Bermuda Triangle. A lot of the times, if somebody's traveling through, they have uh, their gauges and stuff start going haywire. Oh, yeah, like um, the compass starts, like, spinning and shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they they kind of think that there's some sort of strange magnetic anomaly that's in the middle of that triangle, and it flares up from time to time. Some theories are uh, it could be some sort of volcanic activity that's uh, releasing some sort of magnetic field. Um, but no one can precisely put their finger on it. And that's why it's so mysterious and it's so fascinating to me. Is like We have all this technology, like we said a, a little while ago, we have all this technology to GPS tracking and all this stuff, but it still cannot explain where these ships and planes go. They just disappear and they're gone. Kind of like the... Uh, Missing 411 we talked about. It's like these people just up and vanish. Um, hmm. And there's nothing left of them. And that seems to be the the, the trend with any ships that go missing uh, in the Bermuda Triangle. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, another theory that I came across that actually Mike and I talked about a little bit was the uh, bubbles of gas that come from the vents underneath the ocean um, in that part of the Atlantic. Uh, these bubbles... Uh, they rise up from the vents, and what they do is they actually mess with the buoyancy of of ships. Um, and will actually, like, like uh, what's a good example? You ever seen that uh, experiment where the people have the sand? They have, like, a pool of sand, 
And at first, it's solid. You can walk across it. But then once you start pumping air through the bottom of it, it yes. becomes quicksand. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and you yep. sink yep. through it. So they believe that could also be uh, what's causing these ships to just sink out of nowhere. And um, there's, there's been cases where, like, a little bit of water has been in a ship. And that will actually affect the buoyancy when this gas hits it. Oh, my God. He's being so annoying. Um, so... Yeah, fuck. Just lost myself. Um, yeah, so the, the it's buoyancy... a plausible explanation, scientific explanation as to why a ship could just go down, exactly. or a plane could just go down yeah. out of nowhere. And most documentaries, right. I, I watched a few documentaries on Bermuda Triangle while I was researching this, and they were actually doing experience, experiments with um, a cylinder filled with water uh, with a buoyancy ball in it, and they showed when there was no when the water wasn't moving, there was no air in the water, it would. It would float normal like a boat, but then once they started pumping air up through the bottom, it would start to sink. It wouldn't fully go to the bottom, but it was enough that it could, it could sink and take on water. And that's a pretty plausible. Uh, I think that's a pretty plausible explanation for how the boats go missing. Uh, but mm. that wouldn't explain uh, airplanes. The planes, right? But that I think could come down to. Um, it could be a mix of like human error mixed with sure. storms that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Atlantic. Because um, if, if you think about it, like, uh, we're humans, you know, we have, we have flaws, we have weaknesses, our brains work against us every once in a while. Some of us. Um, yeah. Some of us, yeah. I, I can't vouch for that. Um, yeah. So they're saying a lot of times it's vertigo, and when you go into deep clouds, you can kind of get this, like, forced vertigo that kind of forget where your orientation is because you're surrounded by by clouds and white yeah um, yeah and they say that might have also been uh a factor in how the planes went missing themselves um, if you're flying by instrument rather than vi- vision like so yeah. if it's super cloudy and there's something fucking with your instrumentation and that's how you're flying yes so yeah it's a mix of a whole bunch of things um, right and the, the who knows what the hardware who could be causing the hardware mishaps, but the the getting vertigo is a real thing, and and it actually happened to uh, JFK Jr. I don't know if you guys know his story. He died in a plane crash. He was flying. Yeah. Um, yep. I want to say to Nantucket or something. I forget. Off of Nantucket. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he uh, it happened to him. He ended up uh, getting disoriented. Um, he uh, they claimed that he had he, he got vertigo because of it. And because of that, he ended up upside down, and that and he crashed. You can look in research into that. Um, there's all kinds of theories, but that's the one. That's kind of the main theory that everyone seems to kind of stick to. Um, and that would make sense happening in the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, mm. people get there's so many different Gulf streams that are kind of mixing together in the Atlantic, and um, any kind of you know storm could have just appeared out of nowhere and just messed with these pilots as they were flying through. Um, that is the most, to me, the most rooted in reality, uh, and made the most sense to me. But then I get, (laughs) of course, I had to dig a little bit deeper and see what else people were saying. And one of the ones that kind of blew me away was, um, there's a theory going around that there's actually a mini black hole in the middle of the ocean. And that's Mm. what's causing all of the weird magnetic, um, anomalies that are messing with instrumentation and just like turning, um, turning these ships and planes around so they don't know where they're going, and it's just kind of messing with everything involved in it. 
it's very far <laughs> it's kind of far-fetched but i actually yeah. think that's the most fascinating of them all like i, I think yeah. it'd be kind of, it's kind of cool to think about like oh shit a black hole being uh underwater um i mean when we think of a black hole we think of you know a, a, a point that's so um it's so dense that it just sucks light in and everything but why couldn't there be an anomaly that uh a dense point that messes with your um with your magnetics like i mean the the whole earth is surrounded by magnetic fields like it would make mm. sense if there was something in there that messes with with your interpretation and whatnot um, you know, it's more than just yeah. crash ships right yeah it's all it's just that planes. would be an, yeah. that would be an easy explanation if there was just a mechanical thing yeah then you could kind of say that yeah it was probably storm human error or um gas like natural event like a gas yeah. mm, mm. um yeah. But it's not just that, right? Because some of these, when you say they go missing, they go missing. Yeah, there's nothing. So if you got vertigo and you went down, like they found JFK's plane, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But these, the the Bermuda, like the vast majority, from my understanding of those ships that go missing, they're not there. Yeah, they're completely gone. But you got to remember, too, this is is 1.5 million square miles of water. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of water that's very deep. So, I mean, yeah. it could be easy for a ship to just go completely missing and we never see it sure. again. But then it gets in, like, then we talk about, like, the GPS. It's like, how can we not pinpoint it with GPS? Um, yeah. What kind of weird things are going on? And there is definitely something unusual going on with that area. Um, I just, we just don't know. <laughs> and that's kind of why we're talking about it today. It's, it's so fascinating uh, that there's just no explanation 70 years later on how these ships keep disappearing. with. Mm. The technology we have over the last 20, 20 years um and and stuff still goes missing i think the most recent um the most recent ship uh i didn't write the date down i think it was i want to say it was like 2017 was the most recent um missing uh boat that had gone through the Bermuda triangle um and it's definitely it's created uh I mean, it's it's created a superstition. There's like pilots that just will not go through that area. They refuse to fly over. They'll go around it um, just because of all the stories that have happened and how mysterious it is. And it's it's really fascinating. I mm. like the alien angle too because there's a part of me that still wants aliens to be here and to get us and uh, get us off this goddamn planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's. Um, so the logical part of my brain kind of looks at, at the uh, more natural occurring things in the ocean and, and uh, weather patterns and that stuff. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's, it was, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, oh, and that gas, by the way, uh, that I mentioned earlier from the vents is methane. Um, I was trying to remember the name of the gas, but there are vents under the Atlantic Ocean uh, deep down that release methane. And that is... Oh. Uh, that will actually mess with the buoyancy of the ship. I wonder, too, if there was a significant amount of methane, what would happen if a plane flew through it? Hmm. If that yeah, would have an effect. Yeah. Sure. Who knows? Because it's, methane is less dense than oxygen. So, um, right, I think, or is it the other way around? I forget. But, yeah, it could mess with the, um, uh, the way that a, a plane stays in the air. Well, isn't or methane, methane, like, what happens if a jet intakes methane? Yeah, because it's super flammable. Right? I was just yeah, about to say sparks, that it's explosive, yeah. and if you got a jet engine going, producing who knows how hot of a fire, right? Yeah, and then that yeah. catches the methane, right? That thing could just go in an instant. Yeah, before and anybody these, even knows what's happening. 
Yeah, a lot of these planes that I'm, uh, I was seeing going down too were uh, on the jet side. So they had, you know, a, a source, a flame source. So mm. that could be very likely. Like if you yeah, just got we surrounded to... by methane and you just became a fireball. Yeah. Uh, and it just evaporated. Yeah. Who knows how hot it got? It could have just evaporated the metal. Like, uh, you know. Um, you need to ask someone who knows enough about gas and dis- dissipation. Yeah, we need well, I, I heard a theory we scientists once. we can call in. I heard a theory once along that lines, not to change the subject, but because it's kind of related to being surrounded by like gas and explosion, is if you ever heard of spontaneous human combustion? Oh yeah. When oh, people yeah. just like randomly burst into flames, I read a theory once, and I don't remember where I where I read it, but it pretty much said the same thing. Like if the conditions are right, and there's a lot of gas accumulating around the human, that you are even producing yourself. Right, because we release methane when yep. we, fart we fart and stuff <laughs> and burp. Right, if you, there's a big buildup of gas uh, around you or even inside of you, and there's enough of a spark from something around you, then you'll go up in flames, and that's what could be causing that phenomenon too. So, if that's correct, I don't see a reason why it couldn't happen if all the variables were increased with something larger like a plane or a boat. Yeah, and then is it the wick? Sorry, go ahead. No, the wick effect. Yeah, yeah. When there's enough fat in a human body that it acts like candle wax Uh, and allows the flame to burn, so that it burns all the remains, and then you just have like shoes left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that explains why people went and be like, "Well, they spontaneously just exploded." You're like, "Nah, bro, they they burned for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just burned hot enough and long enough that everything melted." Mm. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, another angle too could be um i mean gas can get into anywhere it could just have filled the plane up and suffocated the pilot and he just crashed into the ocean mm. like or tripped him out enough where he didn't know what he was doing exactly if you're flying worked. a jet man jet like especially military jets my it still makes my brain hurt to think about how fast those guys are going the amount of things they have to keep track of in order to yes. keep the plane mm. and they are just like rocketing at such a high speed yeah. And the like amount you of gravity w- on their fuck. body, too. I mean, that fuck. sucks all the yeah, yeah, air yeah. out of your body if you're going fast enough. Yeah, there's a reason um, they have to wear, like, special suits and special masks exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's those, crazy. Uh, what do they call those suits? They, like, they squeeze so that your blood pressure stays um, at, a, at a good level. Suit? What is it? Yeah, like compression, yep. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a compression yeah, yeah. suit, yeah. But, they, yeah, they, they fill it with, like, I think it has CO2 pouches or something, and they, like, inflate and deflate. Uh, that stuff's wild. Beyond me, but that stuff's pretty fascinating. But, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> it's still very much, Bermuda Triangle is still very much a mystery. I know we, we touched upon, like, several things that could have happened, but, like, we just don't know. Mm. Um, but me, personally, I'm leaning towards the gas, um, the gas theory, uh, where just because I've seen experimentation of an object in water being surrounded by gas and sinking, um, and then what we just talked about with suffocating or bursting into flames and you know you'd never see that fire because it's over the ocean it crashes into the ocean there's no smoke or anything there's no yeah, fire yeah. so that very much could be a possibility for the triangle um yeah it's fascinating i'm mm. kind of i'm kind of excited to hear i, I liked hearing all your guys inputs on that i was uh no. i did not think about the spontaneous combustion aspect of did it. you run into any like the or did you check out any of like the anecdotal stories from out of that area and I don't remember for sure, but there were like a few crazy s- 
stories over the years that I've heard, like one that I just remembered now, was there was a pilot, and I think this was Bermuda Triangle. Again, this is idiots just trying to relay <laughs> information that they heard or read. But I think it was a pilot. I think it was Bermuda Triangle. He flew into like a cloud, like a heavy, dense fog. Yeah. Um, he radios in. He goes radar invisible. They lose radio contact with them. And then the pilot shows up. I'm just bullshitting here. 30 minutes later. And he's off course hundreds of miles in an amount in a distance that would be incapable for that plane to travel. Huh. And the reason, again, I'd have to look all this up because I heard this maybe yeah, on like co- coast to coast years ago or some shit. There, um, the thing that was wild about this one is we have checkpoint A where he has like him radioing in. Also, someone's watching him, you know, without being there on radar. They can see him. Yep. And then checkpoint B. So now you have a record of this guy being here and then he's gone and now he's here. And the math that we have on how the world works mm. doesn't fill in those sense. two points. Yeah. Mm. And that kind of sounds like Barney and Betty Hill, too, where they had that whole block of memory that just disappeared. And they ended sure. up in a different place. Mm. Um, now we're kind of getting onto alien territory again. Mm. Like, it could be. I mean, now with the disclosure of the, uh, the Pentagon saying that those uh, UFOs were legit. Um, yeah. Who knows? It could have been involved in the Bermuda Triangle. Those things and I don't, could have been interfering with our with our uh, ships and planes. I don't remember exactly what he said happened within that time because the guy was cognizant for all of it, other than like I can't get anyone on my ra- radio. Yeah, yeah. And seeing the fog, and I might be conflating stories, so I don't know if I should throw <laughs> this in. But this might be that same story, or this might be a different story, where. A pilot reports seeing a plane 20, 30, 40 years old that shouldn't be in the air. So he's like, well, I saw this other plane. It was this serial number or whatever. And then come to find out that was a plane from World War II. Mm. And now this is 1994 that the guy's flying. And there was no you know vintage planes out at the same time yeah yeah which i i did come across a couple s- stories yeah so of, it's of like the weird about that. yeah which well, again it's a wormhole that's actually traveling yeah. in time mm, people from mm. world war ii are coming back through and appearing now and yeah it's kind of gets a little wild um, and there are enough anecdotal stories which is super sexy yeah. um <laughs> but also that is an explanation whether or not it's scientifically found it's an explanation for why these planes just disappear because they shouldn't go off radar even if they sink you know there should be there are missing steps in between for normal explanations Hmm. so whatever's happening to them we don't have that math yet to explain it but Mm -hmm. something is definitely happening yeah absolutely and it's fun as hell to look into i had a lot Hmm. of fun researching uh this Bermuda triangle stuff it's always been a fascination of mine um i've always been a big fan of of that mystery um because it is so terrifying yeah um and uh i actually i went to bermuda um, over 10 years ago and i remember just being like oh shit like, we're so close to the tip of it like this is, <laughs> this is awesome like this is so rad playing with death yeah, yeah. Oh. 
Uh, luckily, you know, we flew from Boston to, to Bermuda, so we didn't have to go through the triangle itself. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it was on my mind, and I was pretty excited about it. And you drag, you drag, did you drag your hammock into your uncle's hut? <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, that was another good story. Um. <laughs> but we have one near us, because we're all in New England right now, and there's yes. a, there's a tri, there's a, we have our own little Bermuda Triangle. A uh, triangulation of three points where weird shit has happened. Which mm. I've only, um, I've only heard of this through name, so I'm actually pretty excited to hear about this one. Um, John, take this, take this away. Yeah, that's that's the Bridgewater Triangle. That's the one that I researched, and it it is in it's in southeastern Massachusetts, which is in in all of our collective backyards, right? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the defining points of a said triangle are Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, so that area is, you know, about. I, half hour, forty five minutes south of Boston, and yeah. just eat just west of the Cape. Basically, mm. I, I uh, want to say it's maybe smack dab in the middle of like where I am and where John and Mitch are. I feel like it might be yeah. kind of close to like yeah. the center point of where we are. Yeah, like if we were yeah, both sure. to so, drive to meet each other, we would pretty yes, much yes, it would be in that meet, area. Yeah, we would meet in the triangle. Yeah, so in addition to the three towns that I mentioned, there are 14 other towns that comprise this 200-square-mile area, right? So 200 square miles compared to the Bermuda Triangle, which was, what, 1.5 million 1. square 5 miles or something? Square, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's this area... Significantly smaller. <laughs> significantly smaller, and it was, it was coined the Bridgewater Triangle by a person named Lauren Coleman, who... Uh, back in the 1970s, coined this area, but he's also the founder of the International Cryptozoology Museum, which Mitch is wearing a shirt oh, of. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we went there. Uh, Jarvis unfortunately wasn't able to attend, but it's sort of like the inspiration for this show. We've talked about it before. So this mm. guy, he is you know from the New England area, coined this term of the Bridgewater Triangle, and because there it, it sort of was a magnet for like weird and unusual and disturbing things to happen for years. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, there, there is a stone dating back to like potentially the early 1400s um, that is called Dighton Rock. So, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Let, me, let, me take a step, let me take a step back here. So like within this triangle, right, 200 square miles, so really very easy to travel to and from like the northernmost point to the southernmost point is only like 30 or so miles away from each other so very drivable and uh accessible throughout the triangle not in the middle of the ocean where things are just going to go and disappear so it's a lot less disappearing stuff and a lot more unusual crypto paranormal things happening but so like that's the most interesting thing is this place is all across the board. It's like aliens and Bigfoot and big wolves and big cats mm. and thunderbirds that are sometimes described as pterodactyls and floating orbs and Native American Indian uh, like crazy backstories that date back to like King Philip's War. So I'm going to come <laughs> all over the place. And this is in our backyard. And when we are safe enough. We need to go and check some of this stuff out. So within this triangle, there are different historic landmarks. So there's Dighton Rock, which I mentioned, mm -hmm. right? So yep. Dighton Rock, it's a 40-ton boulder 
and it was originally within the riverbed of the Taunton River in Berkeley, Massachusetts. And it was removed from the river during the construction of a dam in the area in 1963 and was moved to like a small, tiny museum in a nearby park. It is a slanted, six-slided block uh, rock that is covered in petroglyphs. But they have no idea where the petroglyphs from. Some people think it's like Norse Viking origins. Others mm. speculate that there were writings from the, the Wampanoag people, which are the Native American Indians, like from the area. Yep. But some people even state that it is like ancient Phoenicians or Portuguese or even from like there are stories of the Chinese discovering America yep. in, ni- in 1421. Yep, yep. So... There are all these different stories, and there are some sort of symbols that line up with each of these, um, you know, I don't want to say ancient. Some are a little bit more uh, modern than others, but they cannot really pinpoint what this comes from. It was, I believe the rock was pointed, like, towards the bay um, when they found it in the middle of the river, but, you know, they really don't know when that's from. So that's just one of the sort of landmarks that we could go and check out and do a little bit more research. Sort of weird vibes come from that rock, but people don't really uh, say that too many weird things happen within that rock. But So there are other places in, in the triangle. One of them is called Hockamock Swamp. Mm. And so this is the largest freshwater swamp in the state of Massachusetts. And in, in the Wapanoag language, it translates to place where spirits dwell. So within the swamp, there are several native burial sites. Uh, there is one that apparently disappears and reappears depending on your intentions. Uh, as the story goes, some people were going there to excavate the burial site and it disappeared upon like their return to actually go and excavate it, right? So they went, they sort of scouted the site, it was there, and then when they went back to do a little bit more research, it was gone. And it sort of moves and depending on your intentions, it either shows itself to you or it doesn't. Um, there are also tons of Bigfoot-type sightings within the Hockamock Swamp. Now, there are sort of reports of Bigfoot type of creatures throughout the all of the Bridgewater Triangle, but most of these stories happen around this swamp, the swamp of which is like in the northernmost point of the triangle. Mm. Um, but like I said, really not that far from the southernmost point or like uh, the Freetown Fall River State Forest, which is another mm. sort of big area. Yeah, this yeah. is closer to Fall River in the southern part of the triangle. Um, but yeah, like I said, Hockamock Swamp. Swampy area, right? So you're, I'm looking for Bigfoot stories. You're getting these other sort of like alien encounters, ghost encounters, and stuff like that, but mostly um, Bigfoot type creatures and even some like Pugwudgie stories. So oh, Pugwudgies yeah, yeah, yeah. are a like a folklore from the Delaware and the Wampanoag, uh, you know, Native American people. And they are these like four or so foot tall human-like creatures that like deal in magic they can disappear and reappear they can cast spells on you they they shoot arrows at you all these sort of different stories based on the pugwudgie which is like a you know a native uh cryptid of this area of the area of southern new england that we are it's like a goblin or like a gnome pugwudgie. yeah 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 it's like it's hairy it's got a big pot belly yeah yeah exactly right I immediately pictured long fingers, long it. ears. Mm. Yeah, they're a little bit more, a little bit more nude than an Ewok, I believe. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, not as hairy. Um, Shit, did somebody hoods. catch me walking around the swamp one day? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I'm reading here. Pug, 
Puckwudgies are also identified by J.K. Rowling in the Harry Potter universe. Mm. Yeah, so in in Ilvermorny, which is the uh, the house that is in Massachusetts, so there you know oh. there are there are wizard world in in America. We're That's we're right. familiar with the English one in Harry Potter, yeah. but mm. there's there's a there's a place in Western Massachusetts, and that is one of the houses. So Pugwudgie is actually very similar to the Gryffindor house that we're all familiar with. But you know what? J.K. Rowling, shut your damn mouth. We don't. Yeah, care yeah, well, yeah, yeah. She. Um, yeah. So, good books, good stories, but yeah, I, I uh, she's. Yes, her her opinions are garbage. Yep. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, so swamp earlier. <laughs> yes, uh, the Freetown Freetown Fall River State Forest. So, um, this is near the city of Fall River, which is you know sort of a, a larger metropolitan area in southeastern Massachusetts. It's it's certainly no Boston. Um, in yeah. terms of size, but it, it's a little bit closer in size to Providence and, you know, stuff like that. So there's this big state forest in that area. And in addition to, like, the sort of paranormal stuff that we've been talking about, a lot of people mention, big, you know, Bigfoot, again, aliens, big creatures, wolves, cats, what have you. There's also a lot of, like, cult activities that happen mm. within this forest. Um, so I'm talking, like, animal sacrifice, ritualistic murder, uh, suicides and like gang-related crime and murder. Now, not to throw Fall River under the bus, but it is a bit of a seedy area, and yeah. I think it yeah. especially was in the '70s and '80s when a lot of these stories have come about. So now, there have been think- people a- arrested and shit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, do you think that these rituals had anything to do with the fact that it's kind of like the center of Lovecraft Country? That area of yeah, so that's another big part of of this whole like thing is like where where does this start? Not only why is it happening, but like where are the origins? Uh, are the origins of the sort of Native American tribes that were living in the area? And you know, there's a uh, there's another place. It's called it's called Profile Rock, mm-hmm. and it has uh, it's located within the Fall River uh, State Forest. And it was a site of many important tales from the Wampanoag people. So they're like a lo- you know, local Native American Indian tribe. Yep. And um, they were very heavily involved in King's, King Philip's War, mm-hmm. which was like the deadliest war in colonial American history. And it was between the Native American people and the, the settlers, the white, the white colonials. Yeah. And like one in 10 white colonials died like of fighting age died during this war it was extremely bloody uh king philip also known as metacomet mm-hmm. who was the chief of the wapanoag and he had this sort of right hand man his name was anawan and there was a belt a wampum belt that was exchanged between the two men um king philip you know sort of the name of the war was named after him. He took that name from his father, who was also a great chief of the time, Massasoit. Massasoit, mm-hmm. I believe, is the pronunciation. Um, that's so, uh, that's what Massachusetts is named after, isn't it? Massasoit. Is yeah, a lot of these names yeah. are very familiar to us, right? Yeah, because yeah. there's like Metacomet Boulevard yep. and like Anawan, like Forest is a place down here where I ride my bike, and so like cool. all of these names are things that you hear about, but. I didn't necessarily realize that the deadliest war in colonial history was taking place literally in so, our backyards. You know, in, yeah. In our backyards, 100%. Yeah. Like yeah. every single town was affected in the southern southeastern like Rhode Island, uh, yeah. eastern Connecticut, southeastern Massachusetts. There were all these towns were affected, they were burnt down, there was yeah. warfare happening. 
and um, there My is this town, belt. Actually. Yeah, which is what Millis. Uh, Millis. Millis is um. Yeah. We have the King Philip trees, and that's where King Philip yep. stationed his troops while he was moving south, um, uh, or north. I forget which. Which direction did he yeah, move? Yeah, there's did he head tons south? of landmarks like that, like yeah. like little uh, thrones. King Philip's throne, I believe, is yeah. a place in Warren, Rhode Island. There's a lot of, or there's Mount Hope in Bristol, where like a big big part of the war went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this belt that was passed between uh, Metacoma and Anawan, and it went missing. And a lot of people think that 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 belt going missing is like put this curse upon the land, and nothing good will happen. Um, until the belt is returned. And so I think that's one of the most interesting things about this area is not only, like, how is it all happening in the same spot, but, like, why and how far does it date back to? Does it go back to, like, 1421 when some sort of uh, Chinese people found America before, you know, Columbus and his dirty ass came around here? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm. it, it... it just it's very interesting because all of these things there it's all across the board it's like satanic rituals all the way to alien orbs and unified you know unidentified aerial projections you know which yeah, is yeah. what the navy now calls ufo's uaps i don't like that so as much wanna, they just want to be contrarians about it is yeah. it is it projection like or is it phenomena i believe it is phenomena yeah phenomena yeah, so that's really cool. all of does, this different stuff, crazy, crazy shit going on in does, the Bridgewater Triangle. I have a, I have a question. Does uh, did you come across like is there any connection to like the state hospitals that are in Bridgewater and and Fall River? Uh, there were no any, no, no like really known those? stories of that that I saw. It okay. was um because we I mean know, I know there is a lot of that history around this area. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, but you know that might just have to do with. There. Yeah, you know, that might just have to do with, like, the negative energy that is. But there really weren't, there was not many stories. I watched a few documentaries, a couple things on YouTube, like, you know, sort of read down the Wikipedia page. And, yeah, there wasn't much connection there between the um, okay. the hospitals and the, the weird stuff that's going on. Now it's the, very fascinating, yeah. though. I, I really like that. It's cool. Now, the thing that interests that's- me the most, right, about the whole concept here is kind of going along with what you said, John, like how far back does this go? Is mm. uh, is this area, stra- like does the triangle exist because of the, you know, each area is individually strange? Or are these areas collectively strange due to the existence right. of this triangle? Like if you get what I'm trying to say, like for instance, mm-hmm. all the ghost stories that we have around here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a result of the triangle or is the triangle just a result of us taking these isolated instances and like trying to group it all together right that's the part that kind of interests me in the long run is when you start getting into like esoteric theories about you know energy and all you know all that kind of stuff ley lines convergence lines yep exactly right so that's the the fascinating part so many elements like it's even almost like a character study you know watching these sort of documentaries yeah. that have these confessionals with local people of the area yeah, people yeah. that basically white dudes that look like if you combined our four features and put them in like a roulette ball yeah, yeah. and like mixed up it would they would look like one of us you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. they sort of 
They talk the same way. They have the same mannerisms. And you can really see the humanization in these people. Yeah, yeah. And then you sort of think, like... Like what the like what the fuck are these people talking about? How like how credible are they? How reliable is their word? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Because like, as much as I want to think that I'm credible, someone listening to this podcast might think that I'm just a schmuck. So I'm watching these docs, thinking like, oh man, this fucking this fucking guy from Bridgewater. You know, he's just like, yeah. you know, I was out I was out in my kayak and I think I saw something. It was it was down by the river. It looked. I mean, I was I was a couple beers deep. I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> Like, okay, all right, hold on, buddy. Like, you fucking just like because you were like from Swamp Scott or some bullshit. <laughs> you know? I almost spilled my donkeys. Yeah, I exactly. see a pug wudgie so, with a Mets hat on. I want to beat its ass. <laughs> I want to fucking kick its ass. It said 1986 on this. I don't know why I'm New York all of a sudden. But, this you is know, Red you Sox get territory. Get out of here. It's very yeah. towny. Okay. It gets very towny and shit. And it's sure. like, okay, well, like. You know, and even and even the guy, even Lauren Coleman, right? The guy who coined the term, he created the museum. I mean, we went to the museum, Mike and Mitch. That dude's picture is up there almost as much as Bigfoot's picture. Right? <laughs> He's, uh, You're not there's wrong. A, there's a certain amount, you know. There's a certain amount of credibility that comes with wanting to put yourself on camera. I think, and not that it's necessarily a bad thing. Getting the word out there, I think, is important. Mm. And um, but even in the documentaries that I watch, they talk about the credibility of people who are like, oh, no, they didn't want to tell us their name. They didn't because that is almost sure. more credible. It's like, oh, interesting. Sure. They're not necessarily in it for any sort of news chasing or headlines or anything. They're just like, listen, this is what I saw, and I am pretty damn sure of what I saw, and I need to share it with someone, but I don't necessarily want my name attached to it. So that's an interesting angle, too. There is so much to dig into about this specific mm. triangle and Did, uh, that's like the, yeah, I think the old UFO stuff right because there could be yep. a thousand stories all it takes is one to be true yeah, yeah. Absolutely. so it's the same thing yeah. and I think Mitch raises a very interesting question that we'll never get an answer for mm. right but the correlation so the Bermuda Triangle now and the Bridgewater Triangle is it just some dude assigning three arbitrary points to describe an area of weird shit or sure. If you drained that area um, in the ocean that the Bermuda Triangle encompasses and you built houses there, what stories would those people tell? Yeah. You know, and it's like also going back to missing 411 when that guy was looking into the things. Now, there's going to be bias no matter what, just because that's how humans are built. Mm -hmm. But he was able to put together clusters of disappearances. Mm. So within the grander scheme, like there seemed to be congealed areas of weirdness. So is right. this something that just naturally happens on the planet? Mm. It's just odd enough that Bridgewater happens to be an area on land. So there are more humans to have odd experiences. Yeah. Now, maybe it's just a slow leak of gas. You know, maybe there's a particular gas that will make you trip balls. Mm. Right. Or maybe there are mushrooms growing in the swamp that you can get uh, psilocybin in through your skin. Yeah, yeah, so cool. they're, you know, they're doing this, and then they pick up some like trip water. It's like there could be a million different possible explanations. And you, you think but, about swamps too; they naturally release methane gas. Yeah, yeah. That's all coming coming back. But to I don't know if that makes you hallucinate. Uh, but it could, I mean, if you cut off oxygen to your brain, if there's enough methane, I mean, sure. it will make you... See all loopy. sorts of funky stuff, sure. yeah. Yeah, so that could very much be an effect that's caused hmm. by this swamp. When I was uh, 
when I was doing my research, right, going along what Mike is saying about how you got these concentrated areas of, like, these strange things, I came across what's called vile vortices. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not smart enough to fully understand it because it starts getting into, like, physics and and okay. uh, all the, and science and all that kind of stuff. But basically, this guy, Ivan Andersons, he's uh, he's pretty well-known in, like, the paranormal world because he was, like, okay. a big person with, like, cryptozoology and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, basically, he co uh, pinpointed these locations on the, uh, the longitude and latitude grids of the Earth. Um, mm -hmm. And those are called vortices, and there's like twelve of them that are all like equilaterally, di uh, equal distance from each other, that all have uh, weird stuff that goes on in them, or weird stories about them. Like for instance, one of them is the Bermuda Triangle. Another one is mine, the Dragon's Triangle. Another one is like the North Pole, which if you know uh, all the crazy stories about the North Pole, of like. You know, some people say there's like a hidden civilization under the North yeah. Pole, and there's also there, been expeditions to the North Pole that have just like gone missing. Well, there's that research base too, where they had the alien uh, take over their bodies and start to copy each other. Remember, it started as like, oh my a dog god, yeah, that is, that yeah, in. dude, that's totally yeah. so crazy. It's <laughs> that <laughs> like a wild the dog story. at the other place, and they get chased by the helicopter. Yeah. It's so crazy. And then they have to like figure out who's an alien and who's not. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Faces yeah. Are yeah, they, up. yeah, they did oh. something you can tell with, like because... testing their blood or something. One dude was like super confident, yeah. like let me show you what I already know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, one of the best one of the best scenes in movie history is that blood test. Oh, scene. for sure, for sure. <laughs> no, sorry, no, 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 I'm no, no. Uh, but uh, still, it's it's interesting to think like I didn't I didn't look enough into it, uh, and some I want to maybe return to in the future. Uh, but it'd be interesting to really dive into it and see like where are all these places? Do all these places line up with stuff that we've just been hearing about all the time uh you know whether it's like the where a lot of the like for instance we're missing 411 right where are most of those clusters and do any of them coordinate to these particular points in this grid you know and you try to look into that yeah sure. and That's then the the next question is like all right well if all this stuff is coordinating to these areas why like what is what is going on you know mm. so that that's interesting. I I had never heard of vile vortices, and I just looked it up. Now I want to really yeah. It's another thing that. that like I never heard of until we. I'm I'm glad we did this episode because like I I came into this almost knowing almost nothing, and yeah. I feel like I've walked away with like a whole bunch more rabbit holes to go down. So <laughs> yeah, definitely more questions than I had uh, starting this episode. That's for sure. Yeah, for and sure. We only, for sure. We're only halfway through our triangles. At this oh point. yeah, yeah. Um. That's awesome. That that um, hmm. I'm, man, Vile Vortices is such a badass name too. Like I feel like that should be a metal band. Yeah, name. I was gonna say that yeah. sounds like an or lead singer's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Or or that's a concept album. Yeah, about yeah, or like an album. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. A, it's like a doom Vile metal album. <laughs> it definitely uh, you guys, is. It has. You guys want to be. start a metal band? <laughs> <laughs> we already got the name, dude. Oh, Sick. that's really cool. That's really fascinating. I, I, that Bridgewater Triangle stuff is awesome, and I love that how close it is to us. Mm. Um, we, like you said, we have to visit that. We have to go see yeah, that rock. Yeah. Does now? I had a question before. I didn't want to interrupt before. Um, 
does the rock still have the glyphs on it? Like, can you see yes. the writing and stuff? See, yeah. I really want to see that. Mm. Like, that's yeah, some of them are, like, very deep, like, very, very deep, and they think, like, the certain like tools in. that needed to be used to make them go that deep are questionable. And okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's and go they, they check it out. They, they can't, like, Dighton carbon Rock. date something like that? Like, they can't they, figure I don't out, like, know. They, they haven't. I mean, maybe yeah. that's just, like, fucking local... I have no idea. See, yeah, well, yeah. the thing about the thing that people always forget about, like the carbon dating and all that stuff, is for some reason it's ridiculously expensive to actually do it. So, like, you would need somebody yeah. who has that expendable money, who's interested enough in the subject, because like scientists aren't just going to test it because you know, like, can, and can they yeah. do it on rock? I'm pretty sure you can know. carbon date rock. I mean, I thought okay. you needed like some kind of like plant material or like life material, like because something rock... that has grown and taken the yeah. carbon in yeah. at well, different points in time. Well, there is, but we have ways of dating rocks because like they yes, date rocks do. all the time. I don't know if it's carbon dating, but because I exclusively someone dated have... rocks. Mm. <laughs> someone would have uh, carbon dated the Sphinx at this point if it was possible. That's and true, I thought yeah. that one of the reasons why they didn't. So their explanation for the their their guesstimations for the age have always been a result of like the weathering and the signs on yeah. the rock because they couldn't because they didn't have like life or plant material they couldn't actually pull a, a okay, machine so, data. Okay, so so then it. if it's I think yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm an idiot. I don't know. That's all right. I'm I an idiot too. But good. Um, yeah. Ship so the thing I guess yeah. carbon dating Pro- wouldn't be an option then theoretically on paper yeah that's because it's like you know, it seems even if it's expensive you'd think someone would have thrown out the money even just to write the book right? yeah, yeah 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 if you had the exclusive rights like i would feel confident pitching an idea being like yo i'll drop the sixty thousand dollars or whatever it is to run this one test so i can write a book because i have the exclusive test that i'm going to re- reveal the results of my book mm. And then recoup that money and more. Mm, it, it is right? saying right here, uh, radiocarbon dating is a method of determining the age of an object containing organic material by using the properties of radiocarbon. Okay, so, so if the rock doesn't have any material. organic material, yeah. But who knows what they wrote? Because uh, it looks like it's white, so I mean, it could have been some sort of dye. Maybe, oh yeah, that could have some sort of organic material within it. Yeah, um, it's possible. Who knows? Yeah, I. I mean, if it was just gouges in the rock, I would say no dice. But who knows what that chalky material is? Mm. Which you could date the chalk, but I could go up to a rock and put some chalk on it, and then that's going to come up as today. So I don't know, but it's super. And is that that's in a museum now? You said, John. Yeah, it's a small little gazebo, like with a small little placard. It's nothing fancy or anything, but it's right in Dighton okay. Rock State right. Park, which mm. is yeah, so it's, they yeah. they didn't move this tons of rock into like a building somewhere. No, they did, they did. Oh, they did. It's a they small the building. Rock. They moved it. They took oh, it okay. out of the riverbed and moved it like not far. Okay. Um, but okay. just like right there. Mm. I thought for some reason I thought they built like a gazebo around it where it was, yeah. but. Oh, no, they moved it because then they flooded the riverbed after they uh, dammed up the river. Which so is good. Thank it, God they moved the rock. Yeah. Because otherwise yeah. you have all that water damage. Thank, yep, thank it God. W- it wouldn't be thank what it the is Lord today. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you yep. son of a it was we the Lord that Ma- put it there. <laughs> we all know Massachusetts history with floodings, right? With the Quabbin yeah. Reservoir and how they mm. buried towns. Yeah. We, sh- we can get into that in another episode, but <laughs> that's some pretty fascinating stuff, too. 
Yeah, so Mitch, we sort of touched on the vial vortices and how your triangle is closely related to Jarvis's triangle. Would you like to extrapolate? Sure, why not? Let me just pull yeah, I'm up really my, excited uh, for this. Oh, hold on. Let me just uh, pull up my notes here. All right. So, here's the thing, is that ships have been going mysteriously missing in the Philippine Sea for, like, thousands of years, right? So... If you don't know where the Philippine Sea is, uh, Japan in uh, East Asia, right? So you got China right about here. And then as you go north, you get into Manchuria. And then Korea is the little peninsula. And then Japan is kind of, uh, you know, at the midpoint, it starts in northern China is where the southernmost isle of Japan is. And it kind of goes up towards past Korea into Russia. And the Philippine Sea is the sea that's south of Japan. So it, where Tokyo is, it starts there, and then it goes all the way down into like the Philippines and Malaysia and all that, right? So the Philippine Sea has been the source of, you know, natural disasters for its entire history, right? Uh, it's known for producing like some of the most devastating typhoons and tsunamis in history, so the earliest story that I have that relates to the Dragon's Triangle, which is in the Devil's Sea, uh, the Philippine Sea, they call it the Devil's Sea, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But the earliest story I have uh, goes back to 1000 BC, circa 1000 BC, amongst the Chinese. And the Chinese used to call uh, the Philippine Sea the Sea of the Dragon. I couldn't find what it was originally in its original Chinese, but they had legends that basically said that that sea was home to a massive dragon that used to swim beneath the waves and used to cause storms and used to attack ships and do all sorts of stuff like that. So the thing you gotta know uh, going into this about dragons in East Asia, especially with China and Japan and Korea, is dragons over there are a lot different than like dragons we have in you know, like, the western side of the world. Because yeah. dragons in China and Japan and stuff, they're more like gods than actual, like, monsters. So they're, they're like divine forces of nature. That, and they're usually associated with bodies of water. So they, they're, they like, cause storms, and they cause uh, weather effects, and they're responsible for the creation of rivers and things like that. So, for instance, in China, there's the Amur River, which in Chinese is Heilongjiang, which means the Black Dragon River, right? So dragons play an important role in these places' mythologies. So in the 1200s, for instance, the Mongol Empire, which was the largest continuous land empire that ever exists, they decided in 1274 to launch an invasion of Japan. And they fought a few successful battles against the Japanese on the island of Tsushima. And then the Mongol fleet leaves Tsushima, and Tsushima is just below Korea. So they leave that island, and they start sailing around the south of Japan to attack Kyushu, which is Japan's southernmost island. And by doing that, they entered the Philippine Sea. The entire Mongol fleet, which included 200 ships and about 30,000 soldiers, were completely annihilated by a massive typhoon 
that originated from the Philippine Sea and completely took out the fleet. So out of the like 30,000 of that fleet, only less than half of them like survived and actually made it back to the Mongol yeah. Empire. Now, where and it gets a, interesting... they a name for that too, didn't didn't they call that yes well no no i'm getting to that i'm getting to that right right so the weird thing no 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 it's good it's good right i'm glad you brought it up because it sets it's like sets you know building things up right so the weird thing is that same event occurs again in almost a near identical way when the mongols attempt to invade japan again in 1281 right where the Mongol fleet, which is much larger this time, because their, you know, their mentality was like, there's no possible way that could happen again. That was a fluke. We almost beat the Japanese with like thirty thousand guys. If we send even more, this is gonna be over in a year. So they send a, f- yep, yep. So they send a fleet of a hundred forty thousand soldiers, and they enter the Philippine Sea. They do the same thing. They attack Tsushima. They win at Tsushima. They go around to attack Kyushu. They enter the Philippine Sea, a massive typhoon comes again and wipes out the entire fleet of 140,000. Less than 40,000 of them survive and manage to return to China. And after that, the Mongol Empire was like, fuck this. They never launched yeah. another invasion of Japan ever again. No more so Japan. The Japanese, <laughs> the Japanese gave those typhoons a name. They call them Kamikaze, which translates to divine wind now you probably know kamikaze from uh what the pilots in world war ii used to show when they used to do the suicide attacks on american ships they would that's what they were doing they were channeling that spirit of like the japanese protector that comes from the philippine sea and but the japanese have another name for the philippine sea too they call the uh, the philippine sea ma no umi which translates to Devil's Sea, right? So the sea has always had this, like, divine reputation about it, from the Chinese with, like, there's a dragon god who lives there, to the Japanese being like, this is the sea of the devil, to the divine wind came from the sea to save Japan twice, right? So, uh, going further, right, uh, the name the Dragon's Triangle comes from the the Chinese legend about the the dragon that lives there and the Japanese they borrowed a lot of their culture that they have now from China like for instance their written language of kanji they borrowed from Chinese characters they borrowed a lot of their religions and traditions and stuff like that so it all kind of meshes together so uh, they have Mm -hmm. the same legends about this place right so when people started doing research into this area in about the 70s uh the 60s and 70s and they started to notice weird similarities about this particular sea and the bermuda triangle and the weird stuff that goes on in there they coined the name dragon's triangle to uh you know kind of draw that comparison right so the dragon's triangle itself the exact points of the triangle are so open to debate that you almost it's almost wrong to call it a triangle and just say like the entire sea is the the triangle so typically the northern point is the only consistent point and it starts at the sea right below tokyo the eastern point of the triangle can be as short as the bonin islands which are 
just below Tokyo. They're like maybe a few hundred miles away. Or it can go all the way south to like the Philippines and Malaysia, which is a massively long distance. The western point sometimes goes only as far as Okinawa, which is not very far from Japan at all. Or it can go all the way down to Taiwan, which is way further away near the southern coast of China. Or even sometimes past that, going all the way to like Thailand, right? So, uh, sometimes it like encompasses nearly all of the sea. And sometimes it even includes parts of the South China Sea, right? So, here's an interesting fact for you. The Dragon's Triangle, like this center point of the Philippine Sea is at the exact opposite side of the planet as the Bermuda Triangle. So, like, if you were to start at the Bermuda Triangle and dig straight through, right, in a straight perfect line, you'd end up in the center of the Dragon's Triangle. Shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah. So, now there's hundreds of stories of, like, disappearing ships in the area that have been known to Japan for, like, centuries. But it's only really in, like, the past 80 years that... The region has become known to the Western world, and that kind of starts in the 1950s, kind of similar to the Bermuda Triangle is when you start getting, like, the modern disappearances that really start to get known. And it's also an area that's known Mm -hmm. for, like, really weird phenomena, including sightings of cryptids, there's alien sightings here, ghosts, right? So, one that I found really interesting uh, was during World War II... There's a Japanese pilot. His name is Toshiaki Long. Uh, and he's fighting in an aerial battle against the U.S. forces in the South Pacific. In the Philippine Sea. In the area that pretty much would be the Dragon's Triangle. And during the battle, he set, he reports right that he sees a 150-foot serpentine-like creature beneath the waves moving through the sea. Like, it's observing the battle. He said that it had, like, these two massive wings that it used to propel itself through the water. So, basically, according to this guy, he saw a dragon in the ocean. Now, realistically, (laughs) right, realistically, it's a little far-fetched, especially because, like, as far as I know, there's no other witnesses to this event. I I would imagine that, like, if there was a dragon in the ocean... (laughs) And, you know, the Japanese and U.S. forces were fighting, and they both saw the gigantic dragon. I think the battle would have stopped, and they would have been like, hey, there's literally, uh, Godzilla hadn't exi- been invented yet, but they'd be like, hey, there's literally Godzilla in the water. We should <laughs> we should do something about that first. So, I don't know. Look a little I, further. I could see both yeah, sides. Yeah. I could see not noticing. That's fair. That's you're getting fair. fucking shot at. You're in the middle of the war. You're not like looking down. You're looking for the other pilots. Yeah, that's you know that like, is a good point. That is if a good there point. wasn't ever a time the, you wouldn't yeah. be looking around. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but you would figure though, like with planes in the air, like you know, radioing back to their commanders, like, hey, there's this fucking big thing in the water that sure doesn't look like an enemy ship, but looks really dangerous to us. You know, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I agree with Mike. I can see it going both ways, too. So, 1952, wars ended, right? Japan's uh, getting uh, rebuilt with the help of the U.S., right? Yeah. Ships have been going missing in that sea for years now for the Japanese, uh, for 
pretty much as long as Japan has existed, they've had stories about this place. So, 1952, September, the Japanese government, they send a ship with a team of researchers to the Bonin Islands, which are uh, just kind of below Tokyo. They're in the Dragon's Triangle, um, and they are sending them there specifically to investigate what could be making these ships disappear. So the ship's called the Kayumaru, uh, number five, and it leaves harbor with a crew of 31 people. They The trip is fine. They report perfect weather, no like anomalies at all, uh, all the way up until September 24th, which is when they just lose all contact with this ship, right? The ship just vanished. It, it, it sunk or it just like disappeared. It, it went very quickly. Suddenly, it was like they had contact with it and then gone. Uh, no clear sign of like any typhoon or tsunami, uh, anything like that. So that sinking uh, or disappearance, the people are pretty sure that the ship sunk, but they have no idea how. So that disappearance of the Kayumaru number five has led the Japanese government to declare the area an official danger zone and advised against travel in it. So then it almost happens again in 1955. There's another ship. It's a retired warship. Both of these ships are retired warships. So it's not like they're ancient old, you know, merchant vessels from like 1910. These are like modern warships for the time. Uh, another ship, the Shinyomaru number 10, goes into this area and loses contact with the Japanese authorities for several days while they're there. Now, fortunately, they were found safely on January 15th because they left at, like, they pretty much left January 1st and then they lost contact with them somewhere around, like, the 10th or 11th. So, like, they, they had no contact with them for several days. But they fortunately found them. Uh, uh, but they didn't report anything strange on the ship. Just the fact that, like, it was totally weird. Like, they had no radio signal... Uh, they couldn't get in contact with anything, couldn't send out like any SOS or anything like that, right? So, between 1950 and 1955, a total of nine modern Japanese retired warships and a total crew of like 700 people have mysteriously vanished inside the Dragon's Triangle. And disappearances continue on all the way up to this day. Um where like merchant ships and cargo ships going through that area will sink go missing uh planes go missing too they either crash or disappear it's very bermuda triangle-esque now other stuff that happens is the, the area has always been a source of like ghost sightings right so uh things like seeing ghostly apparitions in the water or ghostly apparitions appearing on ships mysterious ghostly lights in the distance or even sightings of like ghostly ships right so one legend i found uh goes back to the 1800s in japan that says that during nights on the devil's sea uh while you know on a ship you can see there's a ghostly ship that looks like one of those uh ships for burning incense Right, mm -hmm. so it's got like a, a shape like that, and then it's got like a covering over it, and mm -hmm. um, it's got the you know like the the big ceramic pot vase thing, uh, and that ship it's crewed by a woman, a lone woman, 
She never acknowledges the presence of another ship, but it's also, like, impossible to catch up to her. Now, UFO activity has also been reported over the Devil's Sea for years. So, in the 1980s, a there's a Soviet researcher. He's aboard a Soviet vessel. I, I couldn't uh, remember his name when I was typing up these notes, but I found this in a documentary that I watched on YouTube. So, he has a sighting where he's in the, the Devil's Sea in pretty much the Dragon's Triangle. He sees a cylindrical craft that rockets out of the water into the sky, and it fills the entire sky with, like, intense blue light for several seconds before it just goes right back down into the depths. Now, there's a Google Earth photo from above the Dragon's Triangle that circulates around on the internet, so you have to take it with a grain of salt because it could very easily be fake, but it appears to show four mysterious circular metallic objects above the water that have an appearance like flying saucers. So now there's been several studies of the area that have noted that it's home to very frequent volcanic activity. And it's filled with undersea volcanoes, which is where a lot of, like, the tsunamis come from. Because what happens with a tsunami is volcanic activity produces, uh, you know, that earthquake. And it makes the big wave. Uh, so, today, though, uh, recent science has posited that the true culprit behind a lot of the, sink, uh, the sinkings in the Dragon's Triangle... Uh, it's not a dragon, it's not UFOs, it's not even the typhoons. Instead, there's volcanic eruptions that can happen. And what happens is they launch pressurized water upwards several hundred, sometimes even thousands of feet above the water. And it happens like near instantaneously. And it can, if that thing hits a ship, it, it'll rip that thing apart in a second, right? So. This phenomena has been observed happening numerous times, but to my knowledge, it's never been observed actually sinking a ship within the sea. Uh, although I think there was at least once where it was actually a real close call, so it is definitely possible. And so that's like the, the rational scientific explanation. But me personally, I kind of like the idea of an angry dragon god sinking ships. That's my favorite. Yes. I'm into that. <laughs> Wow, that's fascinating as hell. But again, yeah, really doesn't cool. explain the sightings. Yep. Doesn't explain the um the missing and never found. Yep, yep. Because if you had a ship that got ripped a, ripped apart, you'd find something, mm, right? Yeah. But that's also yeah. like the Bermuda Triangle. That's in a very uh, uh, crazy weather Remote. area. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because like, yes. I mean, they have typhoons. We have hurricanes over here. Like, that's a very active area for different. Uh, uh, high and low fronts that yeah, come yeah. through, you know, that area. So, I mean, that could also be what's making these ships disappear. Is like they might just be blowing the debris everywhere. Yeah. Um, did you come across anything about the methane, too? I didn't come across anything about methane gas. Uh, yeah. Although... But if there's volcanoes... Yeah, yeah I would imagine there would sense. be, right? So, in yeah. a way, I it makes me wonder, because we're talking about the methane gas with the Bermuda Triangle and, like, that getting launched up. I wonder if the same thing can happen with the Bermuda Triangle where you have these volcanoes that are launching all this pressurized water. It literally is like a geyser, right? Yeah. And it just yeah. goes yeah. straight up and just like, you know, 
if water's traveling at, you know, 700 miles per hour or whatever, that thing's gonna cut through anything like a knife cutting through butter. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, it could be the same thing is happening there. It could be seismic activity, but it, it, going, it makes sense yeah. because I mean, if you if you look at both areas on a map, it's a lot of islands, and islands are formed by volcanoes. So it very much makes sense that that could be the culprit for this being such an active area. Mm. And super interesting being on exact opposite sides. That of is fascinating. Yeah. I yes, have no idea so about cool. that. That's wicked cool. Yeah, that was mind blowing awesome. when I first read that. I was like, "Wait, no, what?" And I, I yeah. it's like one of those things you had to read a couple of times to make sure you were like actually understanding what they're trying to say. And it's like, yeah, huh? That's really, really weird. So I wonder if like underwater in both of these areas, if you look at it like if you were to slice the Earth in half, yeah, I wonder if the magma vents would all be connected and just kind of look the same on both ends of the oh, world. Oh yeah, huh? That'd I wonder be if tricky. That, that's what could be caught. Like maybe they have the same vents on the ocean floor mm. on both sides of the world. Um, that's wicked and fascinating. I had no idea about that, bitch. I had Thank no you. idea. About <laughs> that. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that I just wonder opens what's up on so the many exact, more questions. Mm. What's the exact opposite of Bridgewater? Oh, I don't Ooh. know. That's somewhere yeah. in India, I believe. <laughs> so I wonder if India. In the middle of own. the India, in the middle of the Indian Ocean or something. I think is the opposite of like Rhode Island. Yeah. Least. So it's water. It could be something hidden under there. Some huh. Cthulhu could be hiding under yeah. there. Well, I wonder if that's um, like a site of strange disappearance. I wonder if that's. I wonder if Bridgewater is one of the vortices, the vile vortices, or like if New England is in general. And I wonder if like right. there's a correlating area, you know. Uh, across from it so yeah that's awesome yeah um a little off topic but i want to i want to talk about you were talking about the mongols yeah, in yeah. 1257 12 1271 yeah yeah 1271 uh that is the setting of ghost of tsushima yeah which yeah is an incredible video game and if you want any <laughs> any any kind of japanese culture it is sorry this is my little plug for the game yeah. it's amazing <laughs> but the main character Jin, is also known as the divine wind and he controls uh, the wind. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's how he gets. That's how he gets to different areas. And basically, the whole story is him dismantling the Mongolians. I, I thought yeah. that was all. Well, cool. no, it's 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 connected. interesting how like even to this day that event played such like a significant role in Japanese history, and and the Absolutely. Philippine Sea has played such a significant role, and by extension, the Devil Sea and the Dragon's Triangle, to the point like it still shows up nowadays. Uh, in their culture and also cross culturally, because that's a game developed by like a Western game studio. Yeah, but yeah, they, it's an American company. But like yeah. that that whole thing of like the kamikaze in in the divine wind and the typhoons is also ingratiated into like the Japanese history and cultural identity. At this point that like it shows up just totally all over the place. It's crazy. It's really cool. It's really Japanese culture is immensely fascinating, and I would love to get into more of their superstition on a future episode. Mm. Um, they have some really cool ghost stories and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that was awesome, Mitch. Oh, Hell thank yeah. you. You really deep yeah, dove Mitch, into thanks. that. <laughs> I feel like I had no facts compared to you. God damn. Um, yeah, that was damn, dude. That was awesome. I had another point I wanted to make, but I, I lost it while I was praising you. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Can can we take a can we take a quick break so I can pee and feed Harry? Yeah, yeah I gotta pee too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna. Okay. Can I just keep recording? Like I feel like yeah, we should yeah, just keep recording. We'll just cut. Maybe we just cut this out. Yeah, I will just we... cut the dead air out. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go piss. I'll be right back. Yep.
Weak bladder motherfucker. <laughs> I've been drinking this whole time. I saw Mitch chugging Coke. We ain't scared. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah, I don't have any pants on and I'm sitting over a bucket, so I'm untouchable. <laughs> well, I like the fact that, uh, you know, because of the drapery that you got going on, we have, like, no context for where you actually are. Especially because, like, I've never been to your house. I don't know what room you're in. So, my official headcanon now, Mike, is that every time you record, you drag your computer and your microphone into the bathroom. Into the bathroom? Yep. And you're just chilling out in there. <laughs> So when I was in college, um, the dorm I was, I was off campus housing, but the place I was staying, I had my own bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I put locks on the door so no one else could get in. <laughs> um, and I decorated the shower, like the whole bathroom to look like this. Oh, wow. Um, I had, uh, I bought fake, fake plants that I that were like suction cuppable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had them suction cupped all over the the inside of the shower, and just coming out like over the bathroom. And then uh, I was really into monkeys. Still am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd gotten a bunch of stuffed monkeys that I brought out with me, mm. and then my family like sent me two or three other ones that I tied all around. So my whole bathroom was like jungle landscape <laughs> plants, and then like these monkeys hanging off the ceiling. Yeah. It was fucking good times. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like showering in a rainforest, like in I love the waterfalls it. of like uh, the Congo Mountains in Africa. It's a themed bathroom. Yeah. It's as good as it gets for me. Mm. Uh I just remembered the blip. Have you guys heard about the blip? Oh, you mean the bloop? The bloop. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, bloop. yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck! I wish I thought of that. I would have. I would have looked some stuff up and added, but. Maybe we touch upon that in a future episode, too, because that's pretty fucking crazy, mm. that whole story. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but a lot of people claim it's the Cthulhu living under the ocean. I think that's fucking wicked rad. Or I, I wonder what a volcanic eruption underwater sounds like. I wonder if it sounds like a bloop. Yeah. yeah. Bloop. Could be. I mean, you think about all that water, it's all creating pressure and muffling whatever sound. It could totally make sense. Mm. Um, so wait, uh, I guess we'll restart. Let's yeah. just do a wave so we know what the cut point is. Sweet. So, great so job. So, Mike. <laughs> one triangle yeah, Great left. job, everyone. First of all, yeah. great job, everyone. Mm. And, yes, we've made it through. You know, you think when we were covering triangles, we'd only cover three of them. But guess what? There's four of us. Yeah. And there are way more triangles than four. But Mike is going to talk about the fourth one. Mike, take it away. And triangles are just arbitrary anyway, right? Like, some guy in the 50s came up with it to explain the weird shit that happened in Bermuda. Yeah. And then everyone yep. else was like, we need a triangle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to feel like I'm yeah. part of something. It's so, like Loch Ness Monster all over again. Everyone exactly. needs a friggin' monster in their river, yep. and everyone needs a triangle in their backyard. Yep. <laughs> the only mystery triangle I want to get lost in is in the bedroom. All right. Um, <laughs> a love triangle? All right. I'm listening. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> So we had, and I think this might have even been the, the impetus for us doing this show. When we were talking about Missing 411, um, there were a couple cases that came up that were in Michigan. Um, and then that, you know, led me to bring up the Michigan Triangle. 
and I, looking into this, again, like everything else, you think you kind of know, and then you start looking into something a little bit more, and there's all kinds of rabbit holes, like Mitch said. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of wild shit that you didn't know and you weren't aware of that surround these topics. So besides, like I mentioned last episode, the guy that, one of my favorite missing 401 cases, um, the guy that goes missing just on the shores of Lake Michigan and then shows up in Massachusetts, Pittsfield, I wonder how close to that other triangle, mm. right? Wow. Not that close, I don't think. But, I mean, relatively close, I guess, like in terms of... P- Pittsfield, uh, I think, is like central mass, northern central mass, right? I could be wrong, yes, too. Yes, it have is. To look it up. If yeah, it's not southeastern Massachusetts. It's like, yeah, it's near the New York line of Massachusetts. It's western. Uh, anyway, we can go back. We'll yeah, look sure. that up. And then, um, and I think it was the 40s or way earlier than that, there was the little girl in Michigan who went missing for days and was like a ta- taken by a dog man, essentially. Yep. Um, so, again, there's the human element, like in Bridgewater – a lot of weird stuff that happens on the coast near that. I also liked in the Michigan Triangle, there's a Minister National Forest right next to it. So with Missing 401 on the brain, when I was looking at the map, I was like, oh, it's up these woods. Mm. Um, so the points of the Michigan Triangle, in west, it's Manitowoc, Wisconsin. The east is Ludington, Michigan. And then south is Benton Harbor, Michigan. So those are the three arbitrary points they were picked out to explain all the weird missing ships and <clears throat> phenomenon that happen in Lake Michigan proper in the in the waters, yeah, yeah. Um, that Great Lakes area. So I bullet pointed some interesting cases that I was able to find um, documentation of on some way, shape, or form. So most, if not all, of these have at least like a Wikipedia page with references. Uh, so starting in September 18th, 1679, Le Griffon, the largest sailing vessel on the Great Lakes up to that point. They were returning from their maiden voyage after they were trading some pelts and shit in Michigan. They're on their way back to Niagara, and they start um, getting towards the what I guess is now the Green Bay area, and then bye-bye. They're gone. So all the stories that were trying to explain it, like the, everything possible back then, this is 1679, and people were like, yo, violent storm, angry fur traders, renegade Jesuit priests was one of the explanations, <laughs> angry Native Americans, angry Native Canadians, and even self-sabotage, like the captain and a couple dudes burn the ship to take all their stuff for themselves, keep all the and fur, bounce. and then run away with the yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, Except to the thing, like, no trace of Le Griffon has been found to this day. Wow. To this day. Hmm. So it was the largest sailing ship at the time. Ship disappeared. No reason. That was the earliest case in that area that I could find, 1679. Mm-hmm. So 1883, there was a wooden tugboat out of Chicago, also known That's as Chicago. Yep. Chicago. Ah, Chicago. Uh, yes. Name of Rolls off Mar- the Mary McLean. Uh, say, so this wooden uh, tugboat is out there. They witness mighty blocks of ice falling out of a clear sky into the lake. So think of, like, hail, Mm -hmm. but mighty. (laughs) So they were describing, like, large enough chunks of ice that could penetrate the hull of your ship, especially a wooden ship. 
I don't know if it was glacial level. I think <laughs> other people would have noticed. But they saved one of them in the uh, the galley freeze box or whatever and brought it back. I was oh, like, wow. yo, look yeah. at the size of the ship. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, like, odds are they didn't, you know, you give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Odds are they didn't find ice. But, I mean, like, why not? And, again, that speaks to the weird weather phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And this is back 1883, so this is before anyone had any real interest to push the Michigan Triangle angle. Uh-huh. You know, they were like, yo, we're out on the water. You would not believe the hailstorm that just came. The sky was clear, and all of a sudden these crazy giant balls of ice are falling, which could explain how a ship just gets taken out. Yeah. But again, 1891, May 21st, there's a ship called the Thomas Hume. It leaves Chicago after dropping off lumber, heading back to Muskegon, and the Hacky Hume Lumber Mill. So um, it was one of those three-masted schooner deals, like the, the stereotypical pirate ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. It's made the trip a bunch of times with its sister ship, the Ruse Simmons. Not to be confused with Ross Simons. Thank you so for the, that <laughs> the Thomas Hume and the Ruse Simmons are delivery ships for this lumber company. And they always make deliveries back and forth. This is like a normal thing. So the two ships are heading back from uh, Chicago after they drop their delivery. And they encounter this storm, right? It's a weather event. So the Thomas Hume continues while the Ruse Simmons, like, we're not risking this. We're turning it around. Thomas Hume never arrives at the lumber mill. Never makes it back. The lumber mill offers a reward hefty sum especially for back then nothing's ever found no bodies no wreckage ship's gone so november 22nd 1912 21 years later the ruse simmons is still making deliveries on lake michigan this time it's bringing christmas trees from thompson michigan to chi town never arrives someone in the kiwanee life-saving station in wisconsin sees the ship because it's a relatively clear day. Mm. The ship has a SOS flag up. Um, like, something's wrong, send help. And they're sailing by the life-saving station, which is the reason why this thing exists. So the station sends out a lifeboat. By the time the lifeboat gets to where the ship had been spotted, the ship's gone. No sign of it. Now, the thing is, on records, that the visibility that day was like five, six miles. So it doesn't make any sense that by the time right. with these clear skies, clear that this lifeboat gets out there, that there's no sign whatsoever at the ship. Like that's a ship sinking fast, a three-sailed schooner sh- sinking faster than anyone could expect, right? Even if it got hit by uh, mighty pieces of hail. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they... Um, not long after that same day, there's a severe th- snowstorm. But this is hours after the ship went missing. So it's not because of the snowstorm, but again, I got missing 401 on the brain. After a lot of those weird disappearances, there's a weather event after that makes it difficult to do the search. Yeah. So the next year, in 1913, Christmas trees start washing up, which is what that ship was, yep. the Ruse Simmons was transporting. Um, Were they decorated or? Full <laughs> ornaments. With, with the blood of the sailors. Um, and an angel on top. Blood of the sailors and an angel on top. Just like Christmas should be. <laughs> um, 
A year after that, some fisherman catches the captain's wallet. And I think it was the same town as the uh, life-saving station. So this guy on the coast fishing pulls up the captain's yeah. wallet. So no other signs. No other signs of wreckage. No nothing. Just the random Christmas trees and then the sailor's wallet or the captain's wallet. In 2006, they find the Thomas Hume at the bottom of the lake with no signs of damage. And the, uh, because, you know, you can go divers, we have modern technology, you can kind of look for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Ruse Simmons is found facing northwest towards the shoreline, not heading south the way that was reported. So they're even in a different position when they're find, uh, when they're found compared with what the story. So it's like all this weird shit mm-hmm. of why. And again, yeah. there's speculation. Yeah. Maybe the weight of the trees uh, fucked with the ship and the buoyancy or the rigging. But even then, that wouldn't explain how fast it disappeared. It just was out of sight. You know, if it if the trees were fucking with it and it broke the hull or tipped over, there would have been masts still seen or if it tipped over you would have had the keel like none of this really makes any sense and it just keeps going Mm -hmm. so in 1919 the New York Times reports a huge meteor witnesses say balls of fire descended into the lake with an explosion so powerful it shook the earth so three two three years later 1921, a two-masted schooner transporting supplies to Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is the lower point of the Michigan Triangle, never shows up at its destination. So they do find the ship, and it's floating upside down, but there's no signs of the passengers, but there are signs of a collision, like it hit something or another boat hit it. But there were no accident reports and no other ships anywhere near the area. So the Coast Guard that found it determines no collusion. Collision. No collision. (laughs) And the 11 members of the crew are just written off into the depths of Davy Jones' locker. Mm. Is it Davy Jones' locker in a freshwater lake? I don't think so. (laughs) I think it's his brother, Craig. Craig Jones. (laughs) Craig Jones' locker. It's me, Craig Jones. He's Scottish for some reason. (laughs) He never gets invited to the family events. Well, Davy Jones was Scottish, wasn't he? Craig no, no, no. Jones he's, he's, uh, is he's Dutch. Never mind. <laughs> Craig um, Jones. Yeah, he's just a flying Dutchman, isn't he? Is it, are they the same person? Craig Jones is oven. Um, but again, like local Dutch reports oven? for local consumption. This no one really thinks twice about this shit until hindsight when they're looking at it again. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. The Coast Guard was just like, looks like somebody hit the boat, but nobody hit the boat. <laughs> oh and well. Done. Those guys are <laughs> dead, gone forever, lost at not sea. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, 2020. Did you say Nazi? Um, yeah, I yeah, didn't I mean think... to. Not the ocean. <laughs> Not the ocean is what I meant. Not the so, sea. 1937, the O.M. McFarland is ending its voyage and it enters the triangle. The captain is this dude, George Donner. He's just having a rough time. He didn't like his uh, dinner that night. He didn't like the whole trip. He hates his job. Locks himself in the cabin. and He's like, fucking wake me up when we get there. So they almost make it to Port Washington, New York. They're getting closer. It's only a couple hours. They're going to be back. So like, someone go wake up the captain. Captain isn't answering. 
We're like, what do you mean he's not answering? So everybody's going and knocking on the door. Captain, Captain, door's locked from the inside. They can't get in there. They eventually break down the door. Captain's gone. No sign mm-hmm. of him. Just homie disappeared. Hmm. So what happened to the captain? Yeah. What June 23rd, 1950. So we're getting more towards Bermuda Triangle time. Yeah. yeah. Northwest Airlines Flight 2501. 58 people on board the flight from New York to Seattle. Over the triangle, the captain sees a crazy electrical storm. Radio's in. He's like, this is your captain speaking. Uh, Well, not your captain. You know who I am. It's flight 2501. There's a fucking crazy Pikachu storm up here. (laughs) He wants to descend 2,500 feet to, like, avoid it. They're like, nah, bro, you got to stay where you are. Flight lanes, whatever the fuck. They, they denied him permission. All of a sudden, radio dead. Then he disappears from the radar. Plane's gone. Now, human remains end up washing up on shore, but there's been no trace of the plane to this day. There's an author, I guess, named uh, Clive Cussler, and he and, funny enough, they created, not them, but... An entity was created known as the Michigan Shipwreck Research Associates. So that's how often crazy shit is going down oh, wow. in Lake Michigan in that area that they created this group. Yeah, um, yeah. So this author and this group decide to join up and look for this plane. Because this is like, it's a big deal if you can find this because no one's found it. Mm-hmm. So from 2004 to like 2013, they do yearly almost searches for this plane. No trace. The MRSA is still doing stuff. I guess the the author bowed out, but occasionally he'll still let his sonar guy go out or pay for the sonar guy to go help. Mm. MRSA, the the shipwreck people are still looking. Plane has not been found. Still. So, March 8th, 1994. Hundreds of people witness UFOs or UAVs or UAPs. Um, we're talking cops, meteorologists... Packers fans, mad people all see these UFOs. There's red and white moving lights near the south tip of the triangle. What an eclectic One lady group. described them as looking like full moons. Hmm. What? I said, what an eclectic group. You got you got meteorologists, cops, Packers fans. What a, <laughs> <laughs> what a motley of Everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone right? around the around the water. Hmm. They're all seeing this shit. Yeah, yeah. So if you, there's got to be one of those three groups that you would trust. Yeah, okay. that's all I'm saying. Man, I don't know. So, I don't, it's definitely thing. not Packers fans. <laughs> Meteorologists. Definitely not cops. Yeah, yeah. Meteorologists. Uh, Meteorologists get things wrong all the time. So, yeah, awful. One lady described uh, them looking like full moons, and that they were visible for at least a half hour, and uh, they were said to appear as three echoes on the radar, sometimes four blips. That weren't planes, five to twelve thousand uh, feet in uh, height, mm-hmm. or how would you say that in uh, altitude, air space yeah. in air Elevi- elevation. Yeah, not elevation. elevation. But... No, there you go. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Yeah, five to twelve thousand feet in elevation, moving all over the place, according to a convo uh, that was printed in the Detroit Free Press, involving the National Weather Service. So this was all stuff that like I could find the actual printed documentation around the time of. And then what was wild to me that just opens a whole other 
pathway to explore within this and then goes back to like what if we drained the Bermuda Triangle would you start having that wild shit happen like it happened in uh, Bridgewater mm. right in 2007 uh, I guess they were professors but I'm calling them archaeologists because they were professors of archaeology and wasn't Indiana Jones both an archaeologist and a professor of archaeology yes yes he was so Mark Holly and Brian Abbott they're on uh, the lake looking for shipwrecks with sonar. Mm-hmm. And they claim, and you can Google photos of this, they find a ring of rocks like Stonehenge in the bottom oh. of the lake. And they send out divers to photograph. And there's at least one picture. This one's a little weird, but going back to what John had mentioned about the rock in uh, Bridgewater in that area this makes it extra interesting is they take a picture of a rock which looks like um, a pictoglyph has been carved into it of a mastodon oh shit which would place that carving potentially 12,000 years ago Mm -hmm. so they were being secretive I didn't dive that much further into it but this was wild to find out not only did this thing exist but that thing um, the carving was found uh which, you know, it's like a whole other bunch of questions. Like, who was there? How the hell did they know at that time what a Mastodon looked like? Yeah, yeah. All these other things. Um, and I guess it's more open now, but when they found it and the thing that I read this in, they were being secretive even the location of it. But I think maybe now, like, since then, since 2007, 2008, more information has come out. You could see photos uh, aerial or above view of what the... Um, the circle of stones looks like as well as a photograph of what the stone that's carved is supposed to be. Mm. Um, and super interesting stuff. Again, like, and now I want to know what point correlates with that on the other side of the planet. Yeah. And that's just like the documented stuff that you could go Google right now. You can find things in our American history that back this stuff up. Mm. These events happened. There's wilder anecdotal stuff like the UFOs, the abductions, the missing people that all surround this area. But what is it about these triangles, bros? Maybe it's just a cursed shape. Mm. Maybe a triangle is a cursed shape. And by calling well, it a triangle, we cursed ourselves. Well, well see, here's, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Is the triangle a cursed shape because of the triangle, or is the triangle a cursed shape because the shape is cursed and it just so happens to be a triangle? I'm going to say it's because of the Illuminati using it as their symbol. They mm. cursed it. <laughs> <laughs> they fucked it up for everybody. Yeah, wow. triangles are sacred shapes as far as I know. They're, aren't so, they yeah. the strongest shape too, right? That's what they is it, is it tr- used to tell me in elementary school. I don't know if that's yeah, changed. Right. Is a triangle just an arbitrary assignment for some weird shit that you want to point to? It could be. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. Mm. <laughs> well, that was fascinating. I feel like now yeah, we dude, have more shot. questions than uh, answers, yeah. for sure, yeah. this episode. Um I gotta say, I didn't know much about those other triangles. Uh, I mean, everybody really knows the most about, I feel like, the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. How close it is. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the Bridgewater Triangle is wicked close, and I feel like not a lot of people know about it. Well, the Bermuda Triangle is, like, the the famous one, though. Yeah. Which is why I think right. a lot of people know about it. Because, like, I can 
think of tons of, you know, times you're a kid watching cartoons, they reference the Bermuda Triangle. Or there's movies yes. reference right. the Bermuda Triangle, you know. It's, it's been in pop culture our entire lives. Exactly. So that's why, like, we're all so... Even if we don't know everything about it, like, I think everybody, at least living in the U.S. at this point, uh, above the age of... I'm going to say above the age of five... Uh, has at least heard of the Bermuda Triangle once in their life. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's never heard of it. Yeah, uh, big time. Mm. <laughs> it's definitely true. Well, and we still have no answers. Yeah, yeah. No, right. It's maybe insane. we'll get some in our lifetime, but I doubt it. God, I mean, we did have we found some fascinating research on on uh, possible uh, answers, but. Who knows? I mean, there's no real way. Yeah, who built the stone circles? If there's stone circles at the bottom of the lake, how the fuck did they get there? And it's not like they fell into that formation. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah, means yeah. at one point there were human beings able to live in that area or at the very least get stones there and put well, them all together in a It shape. could have been dry, well, too. Well, you said I mean, that they had a, a, a mammoth on it, right? So it could be it could be from the ice age, where, like maybe because you know that could have been all glacier at that point, so maybe uh, maybe as the glacier melted it filled in that that whole area, and that's how that got there. That's like the the logical explanation, right? But right, then there's also uh, have you guys ever heard like there's a couple of stories from like Alaska and Canada and even in like Siberia of woolly mammoth mammoth sightings of like woolly mammoths that are still alive and like people see them. Yeah. So I wonder if, you know, maybe those don't go back all the way to the ice age. Maybe those are more frequent. Maybe like the Algonquin or whatever native group it would have been, whether they're the Cree or whoever else, like, Maybe those are only from, like, the 1500s, and they put them there somehow. Like, you don't know. Sure. It's interesting. Yeah, we don't. Damn. That's yeah, a so lot cool. to talk about. A lot, like, more to talk about. I think it, like, you know, like was said, more questions than answers, but I think that's going to be the good thing about this show, just, like, sort of, mm. you know, questioning things and learning about things that not everyone knows about and sharing that information yeah. so and if, if you're oh, listening yeah. this to this a lot episode of and you you know something that we didn't mention please send us an email let us know like uh maybe we can talk about it yeah on, definitely like, a future uh a future one-off episode mm. or something like that um, beastie boys paranormal at gmail.com yeah, there you go that's the one especially yeah, send the one. in and hopefully send in stories if you've ever encountered an angry dragon god at sea because I, I really yes. want to know more stories like that <laughs> Yeah, any anecdotes that you've heard that we didn't even come across would also be very welcome. Mm. Um, or if you've ever uh, eaten a handful of communion wafers and then passed a divine wind, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I, I just hope someday I want to spend a night in the swamp with you guys. I'm into have it, our own, I want to Have sm- our own pudge-wudgy experience. <laughs> I just want to smell all your methanes at once. <laughs> I'm going to smell we'll all see. the methane you guys exert into the world. <laughs> if we hot box a tent, will we see swamp apes? <laughs> we don't need drugs. I we can make so. our own We can make our own hallucinations. I mean, Mike, if you really want to see a swamp ape that bad, I'll dress up in a costume for you. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. That's a promise. <laughs> that is. 
All right, guys. Well, that was fun. Mm. Hell yeah. That's our episode on well, triangles. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Big gulps, huh? See you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. It's very challenging work. <laughs>